This is an inclusive interview with Neil Donald Walsh about his latest book, The God Solution. Opening with two questions that have plagued humanity for centuries, Neil offers a unique hypothesis that we haven't found a way to utilize God intentionally because we haven't agreed on what God is or how God works in our lives. He calls this the God Dilemma and suggests that a new definition of the higher power is necessary. In this interview, Neil explains how his book offers a fresh view of the divine that can dramatically improve our lives, individually and collectively. He describes the God solution as the accumulation of his conversations with God series of books, which have sold millions of copies worldwide. Don't miss this opportunity to learn from one of the most influential spiritual teachers of our time. Join us for this powerful conversation about the God solution and how it can transform your life. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. the same after we learned our 21-year-old daughter, Kristen, was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. It's a parent's worst nightmare. How much did we really know about domestic violence back then? Clearly not enough. Now we know plenty. We know domestic violence, or DV, can happen to anyone. One in three women suffer physical violence at the hands of intimate partners during their lifetimes. One in three. I'm Bill Mitchell, host of the When Dating Hurts podcast. And my interviews with DV counselors, law enforcement, and especially actual DV survivors give the pandemic of domestic violence the attention it deserves. The When Dating Hurts podcast. It's a series of lives being saved. So pleased to introduce our guest to you today. Neil Donald Walsh has written 39 books on contemporary spirituality and its practical application in everyday life. Seven of the nine books in his Conversation with God series have made the New York Times bestsellers list, with book one remaining on that list for 134 weeks. His titles have been translated into 37 languages. He is the creator of CWG Connect, a global online platform connecting people who wish to more deeply explore the messages of the CWG body of work. His latest book, The God Solution, published in December 20 of 20, which invites humanity to embrace a new global ethic based on a refined and clarified definition of God. The book proposes that there is a single statement of spiritual truth upon which all the world's religions could agree and which could birth a shift of spiritual paradigms around the globe of such magnitude that would produce peace and happiness on our planet at last. Please help me welcome Neil Donald Walsh. Hi, Neil. Hi, April. That was a very sweet introduction and you're very kind. It's lovely to be here with you. How may I be of service to you? Oh, well, first of all, it is such an honor to have you on the Wellness Driven Life Show. So thank you so much for taking your time with us today. You have done so much work in the world and doing so much of this planetary shift that I am so excited to share that. Do you mind sharing a little bit with the audience about your background? No, not at all. Um, I'm, I, I had an, a really 
wonderful professional life uh, from the time of when I was a young man. You know, I, I started off in my uh, career, so to speak, uh, in radio, in broadcasting. When I was 18 years old, I got a job in, in broadcasting. And I, uh, as a disc jockey in those days, there were actually disc jockeys who, who introduced songs and music. Uh, and once in a while, you might even hear of one today, but not so often anymore. In any event, uh, I was in broadcasting. And then I moved from broadcasting work into um, television work and from television work into newspaper work, where I wound up becoming a managing editor of a local community newspaper, a daily paper in a relatively small town, although it was the capital city uh, of uh, Maryland, Annapolis. And so I was the managing editor of one of the newspapers there. So I had, you know, uh, and then I, I finally wound up working uh, April for the local school system. They hired me. They were looking for someone who was, you know, could I put it this way, media savvy. So they wanted someone to take over their media relations department and they hired me. And I worked there for, for, for quite a few years. Uh, I was more than, I think, 10 or 12 years at that job. And then I realized uh, do I want to continue this kind of a career, the, these various different things I was doing for the rest of my life? Because I, I, I got the sense that I was working for a living rather than enjoying for a living. Mm. So I thought, what could I do that could maybe bring more fulfillment to my life and more meaning, frankly, to my life experience? And um, that opportunity came when a lady named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, uh, who, who's a physician, a psychiatrist, um, she since uh, left her body and returned home. But um, she was here for a while and she had written many books and she was looking for a media uh, consultant, a, a, a person who could join her staff and help her deal with the media avalanche that she was facing after her books on death and dying became wildly popular uh, you know, many years ago now. So I went to work with Elizabeth and boy, did that ever change my life. <laughs> well, I'm curious, you had a lot of experience meeting many, many people being in the broadcasting world. And yes. so you had this initial idea of what human interaction meant, what connection means, and how we relate, how we communicate. And I'm curious a little about that, but also with your relationship with death and dying, did that kind of open up this new thought process on going into a spiritual realm and those ideas? Changed my life completely, April. And that just gave me a bunch of new ideas. It really turned my entire life upside down because Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was the pioneer of the hospice movement. There are hospices now all over the world. She started that movement. There were no hospices before Elizabeth came along, but she wrote a global best-selling book called On Death and Dying. She came to be known as the Death and Dying Lady. Uh, and she, as I said, began the hospice movement. So, um, Elizabeth was a huge, huge influence on my life because she felt that death as we understand it simply does not exist. It's just a change of address, if you please, a different uh, place where the soul resides. So that altered my understanding, not only of death, but frankly of life. In other words, if death does not exist, if the stories we've been told by most of the world's religions and by the way, there are 4,223 religions on the face of the earth right now. I didn't make that number up. Just Google it and type in in your Google search engine how many religions are there on the face of the earth. At last count, as of last week, 4,223 4, religions being practiced now on earth. But Amazing. Most of those religions tell us that there is what's called life after death. Yeah. But, you know, I've got to be honest with you. I didn't I was I was raised in a Catholic family. So I was raised inside of a religious environment, uh, but it wasn't terribly religious, so to speak. It was simply a, a culture. 
I went to a Catholic school, but I wasn't really a very religious person, but I was filled with all the messages of the world's largest religions, the biggest message of which is, in fact, there is a life after death. And I was told, uh, April, that that life after death could go one of two ways. Right. I could either go to heaven or I could do what many people have asked me to do in the past 40 years, Neil, go to hell. <laughs> well, goodness, I hope not. I just can't even see that, Neil. You are such a lovely human being. And you're right, that is very traditional thought and what most of us are taught, that there are these, this heaven, this hell, this limbo, this, you know, all of these things, right, purgatory. And I want to go back a little bit to this beautiful woman who began the hospice. And the reason I want to touch on that, because there is such an importance of that. I want to shed light on it, on what this woman did, because it is such a, a huge thing. I, it is near and dear to my heart because I cared for my grandmother. We were four generations of women. It was me and my three daughters and my mother and my grandmother, and we all took care of her. And I was with her when she died. And that was such a beautiful experience and such a beautiful experience for my children to have that with our loved one. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be. But we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent or have been in the game for a while, we invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. Yes, death is a beautiful experience. And Elizabeth taught me that. I was uh, privileged to actually tra wound up traveling with her, talking to bereaved uh, parents bereaved family members of those who have passed on and, and sometimes in very difficult and challenging circumstances there was a city on the east coast in the united states doesn't matter which one now but there were there was a man in that city that was running rampant he was a serial killer and he was killing people right and left in that city and uh, they didn't know what to do they finally found uh, this killer and, and, and caught him of course he went to jail for life but they didn't know what to do with all the bereavement, all the all the sadness that the, it, it, he had caused in that city. So they called Elizabeth's office. Could she come out and actually talk personally with the many, many people? We're not talking three or four, but you know, 60 or 70 people who had suffered one way or another mm. by family members having been killed by this serial killer. I went with her on that trip and I watched her one-on-one -on -one dealing with bereaved children, bereaved parents, people in deep grief. And I watched how she interacted with people in deep grief over the death of their beloved. And that taught me a great deal, not only about how to deal with people in grief, but the whole idea that people have about what death is really like and what occurs after death. Absolutely. So yes, yes, it's been, and I, and I came to learn. Uh, it's my understanding and my awareness. You know, I, I'm willing to, to announce that I could be wrong about this, but this is my understanding, and it has really become my understanding since my conversations with God, um, which is an experience that I had in my life that all of us, by the way, are having all the time. Just so everyone understands, I'm not sit, sitting here thinking that or saying that I'm the one who has conversations with God. 
the first message of that book is that we are all having conversations with God all the time. We're simply calling it something else because, you know, who, who wants to be ridiculed or, or made to feel, you know, like, like they're somehow wrong about that or that there's something wrong with them. So they don't call it conversations with God. We'll call it women's intuition or sudden insight or an epiphany or in a moment of awareness or whatever words we want to use to describe the same exact experience, which is that still small voice within speaking directly to us and bringing us insight, understanding, and awareness. And I simply happened to write down a series of questions. I didn't, I wasn't satisfied with leaving, leaving it things at one or two questions, like, what should I do now? Oh my God, what am I going to do? But I, I began writing a whole series of questions because nothing in my life was working and I wanted to know why. And by golly, if God didn't answer all of my questions. So I wound up actually putting it into a book because I was told to. I was told, Neil, you will make of this conversation one day a book. Mm. And many people will, will have access to it. And I thought to myself, ha, now I got you. <laughs> because I, I really did say that to God. I said, you know, now I got you because either this is just a figment of my imagination, either I'm making it all up, or what you're saying will come true because there's no chance in the world that any legitimate publisher, I'm actually self-publish, but no other publishing company is going to actually put this book out by a man who says he's talking to God. I mean, I could have just imagined the publisher, April, going out to the workroom floor saying to his staff, hold the presses, stop everything. I got a guy here who's talking to God. It's not going to happen. And I knew right. it wasn't a chance in the world. It wasn't one chance in a million. So... I did send it to a couple of small publishers on the East Coast. You know, I didn't send it to any major publishers because I knew there wasn't a chance. But I sent it to a small publisher, and by golly, he put the book out. <laughs> if it's meant to be out, it is meant to be out. And the world has definitely taken in all of your words and writing, it's its definitely been pushed out. And especially your community that you have built the, around the conversations with God, that people are starting to understand your insights and wisdom. And I wanted to say that... Yeah, can, I, can I stop you? I'm yes, sorry. of course. I hate to stop you in mid-sentence, but when you start saying people are beginning to understand my insights and my wisdom, whoa. No. We're going to stop right there. They're not my insights and they're not my wisdom. I'm an average person like everybody else. I know no more than anybody else knows. I don't have any more wisdom than anybody else has. So I'm, I'm not sitting here suggesting for a minute that I'm a person filled with wisdom and insights. But having been a newspaper reporter, I do take good notes. And I know mm -hmm. how to take dictation. And when I'm given dictation, when I'm given good notes, to, you know, I, I write fast. I took them down in handwriting and I made notes of everything that I was said. The wisdom and the insights you're talking about, April, are those that were given to all of humanity in the Conversations with God books. I had nothing to do with creating that wisdom or that insight. I simply took dictation. What are some of the most aha messages that you have received? I remember the first one uh, vividly because I, you know, it bowled me over. Uh, the first insight, uh, the, the first message that I received is the one I just told you about a minute ago. And God said, I'm, look, because I asked God, I'm, I'm having a conversation here in writing. And I, and I put, put down, why are you why are you doing this? Why are you talking to me like this? Why me? Why did you choose me? And God said, Neil, Neil, Neil. I did not choose you. I talk to everyone all mm. the time. The question is not to whom am I talking? The question is who is listening? Mm, powerful. Then I was given some other interesting messages as well. Uh, the, the first message that stunned me theologically was this. I was told very early in the conversation, there's no such thing as the Ten Commandments. I said, what? 
religions are several religions like it's know of are based on that set of instructions we got from God. God yeah. said, no, 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 no. I didn't give anybody any commandments. I command no one because we are all one. There's no separation between who would I command myself? Would my mm. right hand tell my left hand what to do? And mm. would my right hand actually slap my left, left hand and punish my left hand? Would my right hand punish my left hand? If my left hand wasn't doing what I told it to do? I mean, what are we talking about? Neil, you don't understand who I am. I said, you're right. I don't understand who you are. Then I was given other interesting messages. There's no such thing as right and wrong. God said to me, I'll never forgive you for anything. I will never forgive you for anything. Don't even ask. Hmm. And other messages as well. There are no victims and villains in the world. And a whole series of messages about life, the reason that we are on the planet, who we really are. The biggest, most important message was, Neil, your life is not about you. I know you think it is, but your life has nothing to do with you. Your life is about everyone whose life you touch mm. and the way in which you touch it. But when you live your life in that way, you will discover that all the things you were seeking and searching for when you thought that your life was about you come to you automatically. Or as someone else much more eloquent said to me, to all of us really, he said, he put it this way. Don't go around asking, what are we to eat? What are we to drink? Where was all will we clothe ourselves? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. Hmm. Wow. Is he a con man? What's he talking about? Does he does he even know what he's talking about? What kind of advice is that? Does it work in the real world? Actually, interestingly enough, it does. And people who have followed those instructions, not just members of one particular religion, not just members of one faith tradition, but all human beings everywhere who seek first the kingdom of heaven and don't worry about how they're going to eat, how they're going to drink, or how they're going to get by. Find that all these things fall in on them automatically. So mm -hmm. what we don't understand really is, April, who we really are, why we're really here on earth, what is our purpose in this physical lifetime, and how to make it all work. Now, if you think I'm exaggerating, so Neil is exaggerating, it's not that bad. Look at the world. Look at what's going on right now, even as we speak. They're fighting a war right now between two countries because one of the countries doesn't agree on where the other country drew a boundary line. Right. Well, I can understand a disagreement, a geographical disagreement, fair enough. But a disagreement large enough to kill hundreds of people, thousands of people, because we can't agree on the borderline between our countries? Right. I mean, come on. Is that the only way we know how to solve our problems? Is to bully each other and ultimately kill each other? But today, that's what we call leadership. We actually call that political leadership. We admire political leaders who bully each other, who mm. use verbal insults with each other in order to make their point. We've lost our civility as a so-called mm. civilization. We do. Mm. We have so much ego in, innately within us, right? And so you've talked a little bit about the servitude that we should be doing and seek he, the higher power and how would you say, what is the best way for us to tap into that? To want to. Um, uh, April desire is the first and really only important step. 
there's no one particular way when you ask a question you know what is what is a way or what is the best way there is no one size fits all answer to your question some people will find it through meditation some people will find that connection through visualization, guided imagery. Some people will find that connection through prayer. Some people will find that connection by simply sitting down with a tablet and writing some questions out and, and, and hearing answers in your mind. Some people will find it by taking a walk in the woods. Some people will find it by simply being quiet for a moment. There's no one size fits all answer, but desire hmm. must be there. We must... Well, in fact, I'll go further than that. It's kind of like a three or four step process. First, we have to believe that there is such a thing as God. You can't make the connection if you don't think it exists. So we really have to hold a firm belief that there is there is a higher power. Now, fortunately, April, on this planet right now, it turns out that eight out of 10 people do at least hold that belief. Surveys mm -hmm. have been taken by anthropologists in most of the countries of the world where they asked a single question. It was a one question survey. Do you believe in a higher power? And eight out of 10 people said yes. They couldn't describe it specifically. They couldn't you know, announce what they thought it was or what it wanted, if it wanted anything, or what it did if it didn't get what it wants. But they did say that there's something more going on here than meets the eye, there is a higher power. So we got 80% of the people believing in a higher power but not knowing what that higher power is, what it wants, how it works, and how to use the way it works to make our life work. And that's the sadness of our belief. So here we sit with this understanding that there's a higher power and no awareness of how to go further with that because we can't even agree among ourselves what it wants. That's why we have 4,000 different religions. Because some religions are telling us you got no, you have to you have to dress a certain way, or you have to eat a certain way, or there are certain things you should not eat, certain things you should not say, or certain things you should never do, and 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 if you do these things, God will punish you, because we've decided that God is a judging, condemning, and punishing deity. We <laughs> we've created God in our own image. We think that God is like us. There's many, uh, many people who definitely believe that, that we have this God that is angry, these old theological thought processes on, you know, he's, he's going to punish. Well, well, yeah, to be, to be fair, I don't think that we think that God is angry unless we make him angry. We so create I, I think that. Most people, most people believe in a loving God. Most of the members of those 4,000 religions believe that God is a loving deity. But they also agree or believe that if we anger God, then God will in fact, because that's what love does. Love judges, love condemns, and love punishes. You but know, in fact, it that, doesn't. You know, the old saying that a parent says to a child, this hurts me more than it hurts you, son. Yeah. yeah. So we bought into, we bought into the whole idea that love punishes but does love punish with everlasting damnation i mean everlasting torture right in the fires of hell you know let, let me share something with you you're going to find this hard to believe but as i said i was raised in a catholic school the priest used to come to our class when i was in third grade to teach us you know the doctrine of the church and uh, one week he came in to teach us about mortal sin and venial sin, venial sin being kind of a spiritual misdemeanor. And mortal sin, it was explained, is a sin that God cannot forgive, will not forgive, unless we are, you know, given absolution by a priest. But if we should die with that sin on our souls, so to speak, we'll be sent right to hell. So I said to, I can remember I'm nine years old, Father, can you give me an example? What's a mortal sin? What will God send me to hell forever to be punished if I do it? Like murder somebody or, you know, what would it be? And the priest said, well, yes, murder would be one. But, you know, I could give you an easier example for you to understand. If you miss mass on Sunday. I said, what? If I miss church on Sunday, it's a mortal sin? 
Mm. I'll, I'll go to hell if I don't get the confession and have the priest give me absolution. The priest said, yes, that's a mortal sin. And I thought, you know, that, that, no, that can't be. God wouldn't have sent me to hell for the rest of eternity because I missed Mass last Sunday. I sure hope that he wouldn't because I did miss Mass on Sunday. You know, I, I went to Mass almost every Sunday of my life, almost every week. But I did miss Mass last Sunday. I decided to go play baseball because it was a beautiful, beautiful day and I wanted to go to the playground. So I skipped church that week and I went to play baseball, softball at my mm. local playground. Now, do you think I'm nervous? Now the priest is telling me two days later in school, I'm going to hell if I don't get the confession. How fast do you think I was waiting to get the confession? And we only had confession once a week in our parish, Saturdays from two o'clock till four in the afternoon. That was it. You couldn't go anytime you wanted to. The priest wasn't sitting there in the confessional eight hours a day waiting for somebody to show up. So I had to wait until Saturday. And all I could think of was, what if I get hit by a car or a tree falls on my house? Or what, what if I die for some reason or another between now and Saturday? What am I going to do? So I'm saying, you know, prayers to God. Please help me. I didn't really mean to. I didn't know it was a big deal. I mean, I'm nine years old and I'm scared of God. And this yeah. is how churches have kept us in line by making us be afraid of the source of unconditional love. Neil, do you think that there's a reason for that? Of course, control. To control the people. Churches felt that they had to control the masses, if you please. Mm -hmm. Not just the Catholic mass, but the masses of people. So churches felt that the only way to control the people was to use fear as their device. Do as we say, or in fact, God will punish you. Women in certain cultures have been told, they're still told to this day, you must cover your entire body from head to toe. Mm -hmm. Don't let anybody see your body. You can have a little slit for your eyes so you can see where you're walking. And that's it. You may never let anyone else see any part of your body. God forbid somebody should see your beautiful hair. Or God forbid somebody should see the actual shape and form of your beautiful female body. Right. God forbid somebody should actually see you <gasps> naked. Oh, my heavens oh my gosh so so we are told that in some cultures you know there are cultures on the planet right now where you can't go to you cannot go to a, a college universities are not allowed to accept you as a student if you have a vagina i'm not making this up this is true to this day this day yes because of religious doctrines that we say that God requires and that God demands. Neil, what I mean, do you think the, the reason power. for the thought process on maintaining this control, do you think that it's just because it's what's taught and it's been put down generation after generation, the thought process of maintaining this control, that they have the lack of knowledge of what would happen what were what would the possibilities of life be like if we had a different idea of you know more of this this freedom and more of this personal uh, freedom and life expression and living life enjoyably? We talked well, a little bit about you know before the show that that that's how you like to live life and you like to enjoy it. Um. April, I think it's we need to be fair to the world's religions, at least the largest number of the world's religions um, were not created or did not lay down their ideas, their their laws, their rules, if you please, you know, for no reason at all. They, they saw how, how the world was operating you know, before the Catholic Church became the Catholic Church. People saw how the world was operating. We were killing each other right and left we were taking mm. over countries we were you know we were we were stealing we were robbing we were we were not behaving well is the point right and so they have to have order in some fashion yeah and so, and so to be to be fair um, the founders of the world's great religions 
thought, well, maybe we need to to place in to put on, you know, on on paper, if you please, to put in writing and to share with as many people as possible the ways that we could live better and stop all of this killing and all of this nonsense. Yeah. But you know what's interesting? It hasn't stopped. No. We, we've got 4,000 religions that we're still killing each other. Yeah. Over borderlines between countries. Yeah. We, we still well, have six. Let me share with you a statistic that mm -hmm. might interest you. 653 children die on this planet of starvation every year. No, I had the number wrong. I meant to say every month. I'm sorry. Wait, I'll get it right. Every week. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. Let me get this right here. 653 children die of starvation every day. Mm. No. Every hour. April, 653 children die of insufficient food every hour on this planet. And we call ourselves civilized. We say, well, what can we do? What can we do? We can't, we can't do anything about it. Really? I mean, really? Are we that dysfunctional? Are we that impotent? We can't do anything about the way we are as a civilization? So, yeah, it's not about, you know, well, we, we just want to live a wonderful life. We, of course, we all want the best life we can get. But, you know, it's about what would it take for us to decide that we should stop behaving the way we're behaving with and toward each other. Now, the answer to that question, I have placed in the book, at least my answer, could be the wrong answer. I'm, I'm willing to be wrong. But I did place an answer in the book, The God's Solution, which shares with us the idea that was given to me in my conversations with God about how we could change the world virtually overnight if we simply adopted a different idea of who and what we are, why we're here, and who and what God is. Simple as that. Mm. Is a very good resource to go to your community that you have created. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't want people to think I'm starting a new religion, so I'm not sure I'm creating a community in the sense that that sounds like. But I have placed on the internet a location where if people want more information, as they yeah. do choose to you know, share with each other and talk with each other, which the internet now gives us an opportunity to do, they're welcome to do that. You can go to CWG, which stands for Conversations with God, of course, cwgconnect.com. And I don't want anyone to think I'm trying to create some worldwide community. Uh, I'm simply wanting to make sure that people have the resources they would like to have should they choose to change the way life is being lived on this planet. But i got to ask you a question here. But yes, please. Have you ever allowed yourself to be seen naked by another person? I have, Neil. Uh -huh. Oh, my God. <laughs> You actually allowed yourself to be seen naked by someone else? I have. Oh, my God. Oh my I God. hope I will not be punished for such a thing. But, um, yeah, you know, we, a lot of it, I would say, and maybe you would agree or disagree, but it's the perceptions that we have. And you have talked a lot about love and unconditional love. Can you describe a little bit what that means to you? Because I think that you have broadened that in such a way. Could you shed some light on that? I'd be happy to. I'll, I'll tell you the naked truth. Because clearly you're, you're up for it. <laughs> I'm up for the naked truth. Yes, sir. And oh, 
as a person who's indulged in it. <laughs> I've been told that everything would change if we simply altered our definition of God. Mm. So I've been given a two-word definition of God. See, here's the deal. Let me just backtrack just a little bit. There are over 4,000 religions on earth. We've made that point here clearly, but not many of them agree with each other on doctrine and dogma. We can't seem to find one single statement that all the religions could agree on that could bring us all together under one umbrella, if you please. But what the God solution offers us is that single statement, the one single statement that could unite all the world's great religions under one doctrine. And here's the statement. It's a new definition of God. God is pure love. Hmm. Now, when I make this statement in front of an audience, April, somebody in the back of the room will usually say, oh, Neil, 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 come on. I've been sitting here for 25 minutes listening to you yammer away to tell me that your revolutionary new idea is that God is love. Everybody agrees on that. Even this, even the religions that have different dogmas, they all agree that God is love. Come on, Neil. I have to say, whoa, relax, relax. I didn't say that God is love. That's not what I said. I said God is pure love. Now my friend in the back of the room will say, okay, what's the difference? The difference is that pure love, or what you called a minute ago, April, unconditional love. The difference is that unconditional love, pure love, God's love, needs, expects, requires, and demands nothing in return. Read that. N-O-T-H-I-N-G. Zero. Nothing in return. Nothing. We can't even love the person on the pillow next to us with pure love. Forget about the rest of the world. Well, and there's no need for forgiveness. No. God will never forgive you for anything. Yeah, it doesn't exist. And I, I ask God, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't, don't. By the way, this makes people crazy when I talk in churches. Every so often, a church is actually brave enough to invite me to give a small talk from the, <laughs> you know, from the pulpit. And I will say, I'm glad to be here on this wonderful morning of our life. And I want to share with you that God will never forgive you for anything. And the place goes crazy. <laughs> Eyes cross in the first row. People get up and walk out. I well, say, well, that's well, so liberating, though. Well, to me, when you understand, let, let me help people who are wondering what I'm saying, or at least what I mean by what I'm saying. Let me explain that. God will never forgive us for anything because she doesn't have to. Because nothing we could do or say or be could anger or frustrate or upset, much less damage or injure God in any way. Therefore, we can't affect God in any negative way any more than, to use a, an example, a six-month-old baby could hurt or injure or damage you in any way that would require you to forgive a six-month-old baby. And I say to my audience, those who stay in the church, some of them have left, but I say, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever held a baby in your arms? Maybe you don't even have your own children, but maybe you've held, had the blessing of holding a lovely infant in your arms. Most all the hands in the church go up. Yeah, I've had that experience in my life. Great, I say. Now, supposing that you're holding this six-month-old baby in your arms. Picture of utter perfection. The beauty of unbelievable innocence. And the child has an unfortunate biological accident. While you're holding her. What do you say to the child? It's okay, sweetheart. I forgive you. Right. <laughs> of course not. Forgiveness. We understand forgiveness is not on the agenda. Forgiveness has nothing to do with it. You don't it just is. It's just nature. So who we are, 
we are children in the eyes of God. Well, when we start talking about all of the horrible injustices, we talked about the number of children who die from starvation and the energies that what we dictate as negative. And yet you're saying that there's no positive nor negative. No, I didn't quite say that. There is positive and negative energy. What I said was there's okay. no such thing as right and wrong. Right and those wrong. are entirely different statements. Okay. So the, there, there is, of course, positive energy and negative energy. But there's no such thing as right and wrong. You know, what we called wrong 150 years ago, we call right today. Incidentally, in case you haven't noticed. Things and change. What, and, and what we called right 250 years ago, we call wrong today. Absolutely. So guess yeah. what? Right and wrong are up in the air. We're just, yeah. we're just juggling plates up in the air. There's no such thing as right and wrong. There is only what we decide from moment to moment is right and wrong. Mm. You know, I, you know, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not, not making a joke about this, but you know, I thought I pretty much had a, at least a sense of some things that are so-called right and so-called wrong. Then I went to one of the cities uh, in Europe. It's a city called Amsterdam. Interesting place to visit. It is. Yeah. Because they have brothels on the street with mm -hmm. windows. I mean, picture windows where beautiful ladies are displaying their goods, if you please, and inviting people to come in and enjoy them in physical ways, which in this country we would call wrong. But that's not the only thing that I found in Amsterdam. There are stores that sell you any kind of drug you want to buy. You just go in and buy it like, like you were buying a bottle of hair tonic. You can get whatever you want. Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, hello. It's I mean, very different than so, what we experience in the U.S. Yeah. But you know what? You don't even have to go out of the country. Just go to Nevada. <laughs> you, you understand that prostitution is legal in certain counties in Nevada. Yes. Yeah, hello. But it's not legal in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. So if you live in, in Reno, Nevada, you can go ahead and spend the evening with a prostitute. But if you do the exact same thing in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, they'll put you in jail. Yeah. So there's no such thing as right and wrong. We're making it all up. So the trick is to make up what we decide to call right and what we decide to call wrong in a way that makes sense. And right now, we seem, seem to be, as a civilization, singularly unable to do that with any kind of consistency whatsoever. Mm. But is there person? Yeah. But is there positive energy and negative energy? Of course there is. And we can feel it. We can feel positive and negative energy in your body. You can feel it in your bones. No one has yeah. to tell you what feels positive and what feels negative because you know exactly how that feels. And we all know what it feels like to be loved. And we all know what it feels like to not be loved. It's really quite simple. But here's the deal, April. Human beings have not decided. They've not made a choice. They've not answered the biggest question facing humanity. Who am I? I mean, really, who am I? Am I this? Is this who I am? Am I my body? Is this who I am? Am I the sum total of my thoughts? Am I my mind? Or is it possible, just possible, that I'm more than this? Is it possible that I'm actually a soul? Is it possible? that I'm a spiritual entity having a human experience. Now, you know what's interesting? A lot of people think that's true. A lot of people actually hold that as their truth. They simply don't live that way. They think it's true, but they don't live their truth. They don't step into living as a soul mm -hmm. for a very good reason. They don't know what it looks like to do that. 
Right. Well, you describe it as that pure love. And when we can come to that understanding of being and living in that pure love, then anything that happens to us or what we would say, and I would love for you to, to explain it in your own way, but some of the things that I have gotten to you from some of your ideas is that we will come to a point where it doesn't matter what happens to us, positive or negative, that we, we think and, and we'll be acceptant of it or we'll take it in and know that it's maybe for our greatest good. But I would love for you to say that in your own words, please. When we understand why another person would say something or do something with regard to us that doesn't feel good over here, then forgiveness is not necessary because understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master, just as it replaces forgiveness in the mind of God. And that's who we are. This is the answer to the question I asked a moment ago. Who am I really? Who am I? Oh, the answer is an answer that most people have a difficult time uh, embracing. I am an individuation of divinity. I am an individuation of God. And just as nothing can hurt, damage, injure, or frustrate or anger God, nothing can hurt, damage, injure, or frustrate my soul. Mm. My mind can be hurt. You, know, you can hurt my feelings. Mm -hmm. My body can be hurt. You can certainly hurt my body. But these are not things I am. This is not what I am. I'm not this. And yeah. I'm not this. Who I really am cannot be hurt by what you do to these things here. And in case you think I'm making this all up, there was a gentleman who lived here on the planet a few thousand years ago who demonstrated that specifically and directly in order mm -hmm. to make the point. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, I see. You think you could actually kill me in front of a bunch of people, hang me up on a cross. <laughs> And that this is going to somehow damage or injure or hurt who I really am. And so he said, listen carefully and watch very carefully and you'll see who I really am. But now here's what we missed in the message. He also said, who I am, you are. He actually said to his followers, if you please, his disciples, why are you so amazed? These things and more shall you do also. Mm. And there are very few miracles that were performed by this man, which we have not come as a civilization to be able to perform. Yeah. Even coming back from the dead. Yeah. Now, what are your thoughts on, you know, um, I don't, I don't remember exactly, but biblically, uh, when when three or more come together, miracles are performed. Do you feel that we are able to perform those miracles when it involves more of us and not just ourselves? You know, and we have the connection piece, the power of prayer, for instance. There's no question about it. See, all of life is energy. That's all we're talking about here. Yeah. Everything is energy. This is a form of energy. This is a form of energy. Even our soul is a form of energy. Everything is energy, if you please. And there is, as we mentioned a minute ago, positive energy and negative energy. Like the two sides of a magnet. Positive energy and negative energy. So if we use what we call positive energy in a way that we choose to employ, to project it into the world at large, to project it out into the universe, it can and does have an effect. We all know about the power of positive thinking. I yeah. mean, Norman Vincent Peale wrote a fantastic book about that about a hundred years ago, <laughs> about 85 years ago, he wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. And he's not the only person who's talked about that. Right. Later books have been written as well books by Esther and Jerry Hicks and 
and, and many, many more books on the so-called power of positive thinking or the power of auto-suggestion. Now imagine we've been invited to look at, imagine what would happen if bunches of us started projecting positive energies on a particular topic in a particular way at the exact same time. Yes, there is enormous power, just as there is enormous power when many people get together and think the same negative thoughts in the same negative way, which mm -hmm. is what's happening right now Absolutely. on our planet. If you don't yeah. believe me, come to the United States and watch the next presidential election mm. and watch people gathering together with yeah. negative energies, projecting insults and bullyism and antagonism and maybe even hurting each other physically in the name of political leadership. Absolutely. So that's what's happening in the world today. We are seeing negative energy being projected by large numbers of people. All we have to do is turn it around and have positive energy being projected by the largest number of people. And yeah. the first domino will fall and the rest of the dominoes will follow. Absolutely. And there's so many, there's so much science to back that now. And we just continue to show that, prove it. And it all starts with yourself within. And it's interesting, you know, I have often used to describe my, I, told, I shared with you, I have a backing in law enforcement. And we learned early on the broken window theory that I, I, brought with me in many, many ways throughout life to understand just that concept that it's really just this exchange of energy. And the broken window theory is if there's a broken window uh, and it's not fixed, then crime rises because the environment looks awful. People aren't proud of their environment. But when you fix that broken window, then crime actually decreases but it's the same idea and concept of having this positive energy within you. And then it just trickles on like you talked about the domino effect. And the reason for living. See, the positive energy will arise within us when we finally come to understand our whole purpose in living. Like, well, what's going on here? If I really am a spiritual being, if I really am a soul, what in the world am I doing in this body? Why would I be a spiritual entity? having a physical experience. For what? What purpose? Did God really, I mean, really throw me out of the Garden of Eden? Mm. Am I just in a rejection from God's kingdom? No. So I want to make a suggestion. I was told in conversations with God that the purpose of life in the physical realm, there are three realms in the kingdom of God, the realm of the physical, the realm of the spiritual, and the realm of pure being what we call heaven. The realm of the physical was created in order to provide souls with an opportunity to express and experience who they really are. We can't do that in the realm of the spiritual because there's nothing else except pure love here and now. It's not even time. There's no such thing as time in the realm of the spiritual. And there's nothing there except pure love. Well, that's all wonderful. You might say, well, that's great. So, you know, I want to go back to where there's nothing but pure love here and now. But here's the truth. The human soul wishes to experience what it knows itself to be. We want to understand experientially. We want the experience to flow through us as us. It's all very well and good for me to say I'm a generous person, to use a simple example. But if I never demonstrate generosity in my life, if I never have the opportunity to generate generosity, then... I won't be able to experience it. If I say I am the light, to use a really wonderful metaphor, I am the light, metaphorically speaking, I want to experience myself as the light. But in the realm of the spiritual, I'm like a candle in the sun. I can't experience myself as the light. I can know myself as the light, but if I want to experience myself being the light, I would have to what? Find myself into the realm of the darkness. Yes. Therefore, you know the raise not your fist to heaven and curse the darkness not, but be a light unto the darkness. 
that you might know who you really are and that all those whose lives you touch might know who they really are as well. That's why we came to the realm of the physical. And that can change your idea about your purpose in life, your, as the French would say, raison d'etre. What am I doing here? And when we step into and live into the agenda of the soul, I promise you, everything changes. That said, Neil, when we are brought here to experience and have, we, we have to have the understanding, the yin, the yang, the contrast, the dark, the light. Is there really, do you feel a, an idea that we, we truly will evolve or how will it take longer? Because we're all on this journey where we have to have that understanding in order to Yes, get to a higher evolution. The answer to your question is yes, there are highly evolved beings in the universe, in the cosmos. I mean, obviously, we are not the only intelligent life in, in, in the cosmos. We know that. Um, yeah. There is intelligent life on many other planets, and, and uh, it is uh, those planets are filled with highly evolved beings. What conversation with God calls HEBS, H-E-B-S, highly evolved beings, and we are getting there now. We're moving there more rapidly than ever before, I've got great uh, optimism about it because now we have the ability to communicate more rapidly than we ever ever did before. Look at what we're doing right now. Yeah. We're, we're, we're communicating in a way that wouldn't have been possible even 25 years ago. So we now have the ability to touch each other's lives instantaneously. And if we begin to use that ability, we can create an acceleration of our evolutionary process. And we're on our way there. But right, right now we're experiencing the storm before the calm. Oh, I love that you brought that up. Thank you so much for sharing that hope and positivity because I truly innately believe that. And that is why I am here with you today. I wanted to bring in one of our comments. Manly says, like pure love, is there pure energy? And what does that look like? It looks like pure love. It looks like, it looks like sharing with everything not just with other people, with the trees, with the earth, with the planet, with, with every living thing. It looks like sharing with every living thing what mm. love would offer without requiring, demanding, asking for, or even hoping for anything in return. By the way, speaking of taking one's clothes off in the presence of another, if you've ever had sex that way, you'll then finally know what making love is really about. Mm, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I have one question for you, Neil. Uh, I'm curious to know, since we evolve, do you think that God evolves? <laughs> that's a very good question. And I asked God the same question. God you got said, an answer? <laughs> yeah. She said, well, I don't evolve in the sense of becoming something that I'm not now because I am everything that there could be to be. But I am enlarging my experience of mm. all that I am. And enlarging one's experience is not exactly the same as evolving, but it is making an even grander and grander and grander experience. Let me give you an example. Yes, um, please. April, have you ever loved anybody in your life? Absolutely. Really? Yes. Uh, have you ever had the experience of loving them more later than you did at the beginning? Yeah. Do you think it's possible for you to love too much? You know, when, when I find myself feeling like I can't love anymore, I surprise myself because it just keeps getting better and better. That's the answer to your question about God. God says, you know what? It keeps getting better and better. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Neil, it has been such a pleasure. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience today? Step into the world with a decision to be who you really are. Decide to demonstrate to yourself and to everyone whose life you touch your true reason for being 
in the physical realm and see what happens. Do it for a week. Just, just try it for seven days. Dare you, dare you, double dare you. But be careful because you may never go back to who you once were. Allow every thought, every word, every action that proceeds from you to be a demonstration of your individuation of divinity and watch what happens. Thank you so much, sir. And I called you, sir. You told me not to. Thank you, Neil. You have been an absolute blessing to be on this platform today. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Throw right back at me. <laughs> I love that. You're a joy. Uh, thank you so much. And I want to make sure that everybody, again, knows how to find you. Um, you can go to www.cwgconnect.com. And also, I invite you to visit Neil Donald Walsh website. That's www.neildonaldwalsh.com. For those of you who are going to be tuning in later, you can also find all of this information in the description below. So, oh, by the way, one last thing. Yes, please. I will send anyone who wants it a free upload copy of the book, The God Solution. I'm not here to sell books. If you oh. want a free copy of it, I'll send it to you within the next half hour. Just send me a note at neil at neildonaldwalsh.com and say, I want a copy of the book and I will upload it to your computer right then and there. I want everyone to read that book. Oh, generous. I love it. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you again. So goodbye, everyone, for now, and we will see you next time. <laughs>